Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Matthew fourteen thirteen. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm so glad that um, Austin, was it Austin? Austin had all the answers in children's time. Do you want to come give the sermon today? Because you basically already gave it. Austin, you did so good. It sounds like you've been paying attention to our sermon series, actually. Um, this Lenten season, and uh, Lent is a fancy word for the time before Easter, we have been doing a prayer sermon series where we have been thinking about different ways in which the New Testament teaches us to pray. And I actually got to sit in a small group this morning, and that like never happens on a Sunday morning. Um, and one of the folks in that small group has been taking intentional times to pray for the last three weeks. And she said, these are her exact words, she said, y'all, I'm so on fire right now because I've been praying every day. And she's been trying out these different ways in which we've been um, asking you all to try to pray. And so um, I hope that maybe some of you have been trying um, and that God is honoring that and you're trying. If you remember from week one, we talked about the centering prayer, which um, was a way outside of some of our comfort zones, but it sounds like I've heard some stories of people who've tried it. Last week, we talked about um, prayer as a blessing and telling people in our lives that they are a blessing. And the chalkboard in the back would be a great thing for you to go look at um, and even write some names on after worship so that we can kind of continue in that practice past last week. And so today, we're going to be thinking through and discovering what it really means for us to pray by ourselves. And so today's passage that was read for us comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And it's one of the few instances in our Gospels where we learn about a time that Jesus was all by himself. Now we're going to have just like a small um, trivia moment here. Um, there are two other times in Scripture where Jesus is by himself. Does anybody know what they are? David, you don't count. David Lesner, if there's another David in here, sorry. Anyone, when Jesus goes to pray by himself. Okay, so Good Friday, you all need to be here April 15th at 6.30 to learn what you don't know. Uh, on Good Friday, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays and he um, is by himself. Does anyone maybe know the other time? Yes? Uh, maybe, but that's not the answer I'm looking for. I'll have to fact check that later. I believe you. 
I've only read the Bible like once. Okay, so Jesus, the other time he was by himself is right before his ministry started. He went out to the desert for 40 days, and he didn't eat anything, and he was tempted. Do we remember this a little bit? Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so these are the times that Jesus is by himself. So right at the beginning of his ministry and right at the end of his ministry. And then there's this passage that's right, and it like literally is the middle of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus goes to be by himself. So we have these instances where Jesus is by himself. Now, one of the things that um, is, is interesting when we read Scripture is we have to think about some specifics. And so um, when I was in seminary, we had, had these tests, and they haunt my nightmares. They were truly awful. What they were is they would, there would be passages of Scripture without the reference, and we would have to know what book of the Bible it came from. Now, you would think that studying for this test means I just read all the books of the Bible and memorize them, right? But one of the tests was over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you've ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a ton of repeating material. There are some stories that are in all four Gospels, and they're told in different ways. And so to study for that test, we don't read those Gospels to try to memorize them but we learn about why those Gospels are written differently from one another. There are certain hints that can tell you that something is from Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. If something is from Matthew, there's a couple of key factors that you can tell. Jesus is called Lord, where in Mark he's called Teacher. And in Matthew, the disciples are a little bit smarter. They usually like catch on a little bit faster. In Mark, bunch of dum-dums. They have no clue in the Gospel of Mark. And most notably, in the Gospel of Matthew, there are references that a Jewish person in biblical times would recognize instantly. And some of that vocabulary is not used in the other Gospels, and also that vocabulary is not explained. And so this particular detail, I think, leads us to to believe that Matthew, Whoever wrote the Gospel of Matthew was writing from a Jewish, Judeo-Christian now perspective and was assuming that their audience was going to be this Jewish, Judeo-Christian person. Now, why in the world would I take time telling you about one of the worst tests ever in seminary? I don't want you to miss some important pieces of this story. And especially this last part, when we look at this story through someone who would be Jewish at the time, who would have truthfully memorized the first five books of the Old Testament before turning 15, who would be so familiar with the Old Testament that they wouldn't even have to look to read it because it wasn't, it was all passed down through storytelling. And so, If you are a Jewish Christian in Bible times and you're sitting and you're listening to the Gospel of Matthew and it says, and then Jesus went to be by himself, it brings up some really interesting thoughts. It's actually like fairly radical um, because in the Old Testament, when people are by themselves with God, 
there's just a lot that like is fine right up until it's not, right? So like Adam and Eve, they enjoy the fullness of God's presence in the Garden of Eden. And then God gives them literally one rule. And what do they choose to do? Break the one rule. Parents, or yeah, mm-hmm. They break the one rule, and when they break that rule, they decide that their sin, they think, separates them from God. And they run and they hide from God. Or later in the book of Genesis, um, in chapter 11, does anybody here know the story of the Tower of Babel? Yeah, so um, the people were, were building a tall tower, and it sounds like a cool architectural project. However, they wanted the, tall, the tower to be so tall that they could be equal with God so that they could talk to God. And humans are not equal to God. Or what about Moses when he encounters the burning bush? Do you remember this story? And Moses goes to the burning bush and he hides his face because he doesn't think he can look at God. And God gives him his mission that he is going to go, he is going to deliver the enslaved Israelite people. And throughout the entire book of Exodus, Moses and God have these conversations back and forth, and God tells Moses exactly what to do for every obstacle he runs across. God tells Moses about the plagues. God tells Moses how to part the Red Sea. God tells Moses where to get food when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And then if you've read the book of Numbers, um, like we challenged you back in the fall of last year, in Numbers chapter 20, there's this story where God, as God has done many times up to this point, gave Moses some instructions to have water come from a rock as a miracle that God was going to do. And Moses, at this point, he had been around the people for a while. They were kind of complaining at every step. And so Moses, instead of saying, God's going to make water come out of this rock, he held up his staff and he yelled at the people, you want me to do a miracle for you and give you some water? And he, like, banged on the rock with his staff. Moses forgot that it was about God. He thought it was about Moses. And the consequences of his actions, we read later in the book of Numbers, is Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land. When the Hebrew people are wandering before this, um, after escaping slavery, they're wandering in the wilderness. There's this um, tent called the tabernacle that's right in the middle of the camp that they set up. And the tabernacle was this tent that held the Ark of the Covenant just before Indiana Jones steals it from the Nazis. Thank you. And... In the Ark of the Covenant, the Jewish people believed there was this box, and in the box was a copy of the Ten Commandments, some of the manna that came from heaven, and Aaron's staff. And they believed that in that box was God's presence. You entered into the tent and into the box if you wanted to have a conversation with God. But the tabernacle was not something that was like open for anyone to come in with a revolving door to hang out. You had to be born in a specific tribe, go through certain training, and every time you wanted to enter into the tabernacle, you had to go through insane cleanliness rituals. There were prerequisites, they thought, to being in God's presence. 
Later in the story of the Israelite people, if you've ever, again, read the Old Testament, the Israelite people um, forget God so often. There's an entire generation, it says in Scripture, that doesn't even know that God delivered the Israelite people from slavery in the first place. And so when the people forget God and they start acting as if they've forgotten God, God rises up judges to be kind of a middle person between God and the people, to deliver the message from God to the people. And then when the judges aren't working, um, the Israelite people say to God, they say, well, we want a king. We want to look like every other country around us. We want to go ahead and have a king. And God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And some kings are good and some kings are bad, and even the good ones make some bad choices because they're human. And so God puts prophets near the kings and around the kings so that they can receive the word from God to give to the king or to give to the people. And if you've ever read through the prophetic books in the Old Testament, they, um, we joked uh, when we did it during COVID time, they're not great Bible, uh, bedtime stories. Um, prophets are almost never given like, you're all doing great, keep doing what you're doing. Prophets are given really hard truth. Prophets are giving, given hard truth that they're supposed to tell the people, you know what, the direction you're going is not the direction you need to be going, and you need to turn around and go the other way. So prophets weren't the most loved people in the community. And even, again, if we go to the New Testament, earlier in Matthew's Gospel, remember that first time Jesus is all by himself, he goes out to the wilderness, and he's tempted by evil. And so up to this point, if you know the Old Testament, and you've heard part of the Gospel of Matthew, and you are a Jewish person in New Testament times, when you hear that Jesus is going to go off by himself, it's like... uh, when your Netflix show ends, but it ends on a cliffhanger, and you're like, I've got to see what the next episode does. That's what that was like for somebody hearing that Jesus was going to go be by himself. The timing of Jesus going to pray by himself, I think, is really interesting to note. Anytime you're studying scripture, one of the most important things that you can do is read what comes before the passage or the story you're looking at and what comes after. And in this case, what comes before Jesus going off by himself is that he learns about the death of John the Baptist. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, Uh, John the Baptist's mom, how she was related to Jesus's mom, and I told you that um, in my family, if we don't know how we're related, we just say cousin. Jesus just heard that his cousin has passed away, was killed. Jesus just heard that the man who baptized him is gone. And Jesus has just learned that the person who was sent and anointed to prepare the people to receive Jesus is no longer doing that. And then right after this small verse is when Jesus, like you said, feeds the 5,000. Because the people are following him and the disciples say, dude, we got to feed these people. And does anybody know, how, how did Jesus feed the 5,000? How many pieces of bread were there? Five. And how many fish? Family Ministries gets lots of points today for people knowing things. It's very impressive. 
Jesus feeds 5,000 people after learning that his cousin has passed away. He's got a full plate and a hole in his heart. If anyone in here thinks that you're too busy for God, I point you to what his son did. Jesus took time to be alone with God, even with hurt in his heart and a lot on his plate and people counting on him. Throughout the history of the Christian movement, ever since it really started, um, there's been an emphasis on the individual part of our faith and the communal part in our faith. And I think that we've seen what happens when you focus on one more than the other. And in our history, we've done some major harm to people when we focused on one more than the other. In the times in which we only focus on the individual nature of our faith, we get caught up in trying to read this thing all by ourselves in a closet, talking with God and having a personal relationship. But if you're praying and reading the Bible alone in your closet at your house, You're not looking for others. You're not looking to invite others into God's new covenant through Jesus. You're not looking to see where you can serve other people. You're not part of a community that makes interpreting this a lot more interesting and sometimes easier. But on the opposite end, If all we do is focus on the communal nature of faith, what we're supposed to do together, we might miss out on why we do mission in the first place, why we invite people to be part of the new covenant. You have to know and believe and have faith in what that is. If no one in here had a personal relationship with God, I think we would just be a really good nonprofit that did some good things sometimes. So we need the Goldilocks approach between the individual nature of our faith and the communal nature of our faith. We need something in the middle that's just right. And here at Creekwood, I think that our encouragement to the communal nature of faith um, goes without saying. You'll hear in the announcements every single week ways in which you can engage communally and missionally with your faith. We want you to be in a small group. We want you to be part of a short-term class that we offer. We want you to pray together. We want you to serve in areas inside the church and outside the church. And I always throw in, I want you to park farther away so that guests can park closer. But... Hear me really clearly this morning that the individual nature of your faith is just as important to us. And we want you to foster that. We want you to read scripture by yourself to see what God might say to you. We want you to pray by yourself. And we want you to consider and even know and have faith that nothing stands in the way between you and God, ever. I think sometimes when we suggest this idea of being alone with God, it's really scary for some of us. I'll tell you why. Um, I think it's a really intimidating and daunting concept, um, really to grown-ups. It's kids that are totally fine being alone with God, right? Grown-ups, 
It's intimidating, it's a daunting concept. And the Old Testament examples of people who were alone with God have some scary endings, not exactly patterns you wanna repeat. I think that some of us are afraid to be alone with God because we're afraid of what God might tell us to do. Like what, let me tell you. We're afraid that God might tell us that we need to make an uncomfortable choice, that we're gonna have to throw off what is normal. We're afraid that God's gonna tell us we have to make a career change and we don't wanna do that. We're afraid that God is gonna call us to thinking about something or someone differently and we will have to change our minds. We're afraid that if we talk to God by ourselves that we're gonna have to have a difficult conversation, we're gonna have to have conflict with someone We're afraid that if we talk to God by ourselves, God might tell us we have to forgive someone we haven't. And I think we're really afraid that if we talk to God all by ourselves that this gut conviction stuff is gonna happen. And we're gonna have to face the way in which we treat people, the words that we use, the actions that we choose towards them. And so for some reason, we've built up this image in our heads as if um, God is just like sitting, waiting for you to come all by yourself. Because we think that if we're with other people, if I pray with community, God can't see me, right? Like you're wearing camouflage, (laughs) which is really silly, right? Because it's God. You can't really hide from God. Adam and Eve tried. And on top of that, I don't think that God is waiting to make you feel bad. And I think that scripture proves that. Even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 139, it talks about when God was making us and God took such careful care making us. It says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. Have you ever watched somebody knit? Is it the fastest process you've ever seen in your life? No. And what happens when one stitch is out of place? You have to go back and you have to fix it. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Or Jesus. In Luke 15, Jesus says that God knows every single hair on your head. And for some of you, that count doesn't take very long. But God knows. If you're D-notes and have as much hair as D-notes has, or if you're me, God knows both of our numbers of the hairs on our head. What God that would know that would sit and wait to cause you pain? In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells this metaphor. He says that I am the vine and you are the branches. Branches come from a vine, they extend out, and they go places that the vine can't go. But if they disconnect from that vine, they're no good. God is not waiting for you to approach God all by yourself so that God can hurt you and make you feel bad. The God that knit you together and knows the hairs on your head and is the vine to your branches is not wanting to hurt you by you being by yourself. 
God desires a one-to-one relationship with every single one of us. So I want to go through three points of uh, one-on-one relationships, and I just want to say that I want a lot of credit for this sermon today, because normally the challenges I give you are things you're not doing, but today, all three of these things you're already doing. I'm just going to point them out to you. That's very nice of me, right? That's supposed to be funny. Thank you, Adele's. (laughs) These are things you're already doing. So three points on one-to-one relationships. One-to-one relationships require some privacy for strengthening and nurturing your relationship. Some of you in here are married, and I think it's um, fair to say that there are some activities that marital people participate in that you don't really want me, like, knocking on your doorbell, like, hey, let's hang out. You want that privacy sometimes. And I don't just mean physically, but mentally and emotionally in your one-to-one relationships. When we pray by ourselves, we strengthen and nurture our relationship with God in the same way. One-to-one relationships are different and unique and special if we're paying attention. Parents and even grandparents in the room, if you haven't taken time lately to spend one-on-one time with each of your children, I want you to start like 1201 today. Because though your kids may have the exact same DNA, each one of them is so different, so special, and yet at the same time so worthy of being loved. And in the same way, God waits for you to spend time with God. God wants to be like a parent getting to know their child. God is interested in every single thing you have to say. When you pray by yourself, you get to know God. You get to know the fact that God already loves you just the way that you are. And that you are God's child. And then the last point is that one-to-one relationships make larger groups better. Um, I have a group of friends, and I think the nicest word to call them would be interesting. Um, it's, it's three other clergy women, so you can already imagine our conversations are really fun. We all work in very different contexts. None of them get to preach in a barn, and I do, so you can already, that already is different. And when we hang out as a group, it's chaotic and cathartic and usually somebody's going crazy or crying. But I have my own relationship with each three of those women apart from the group. I have certain activities I'll only do with one or the other. But knowing each of the three on a one-to-one basis and the three of them all knowing each other on a one-to-one basis makes the group of the four of us even better. And so in the same way, we want you to do faith in community. Your small group, your mission area that you serve in the church and outside of the church, and even when you park far away, will only be better if you know God in the one-to-one way. 
So for this week, the prayer practice is for you to be challenged, to take some inspiration from Jesus. I know that we are all busy. I know that some of you, even in the middle of this sermon, your mind drifted to your shopping list and what you're doing tomorrow. I know that we have a lot of things on our plate. Jesus did too. He had a lot of people counting on him. Literally, he had to get in a boat to go to the middle of the lake to get some alone time. I know that there are big hurts in our heart that maybe make us hesitant to be alone with God. We've lost people. We're grieving things. We're angry. We're sad. But just like Jesus went to be alone with God after learning that his cousin died, I hope that you take some inspiration from that. Remember, the only thing that we are asking you to do in this sermon series is just to try. Try the centering prayer. Try thinking about people as blessings. So this week, I want you to try to get some alone time. You may have to stay up a little bit later than you want to. You may have to get up a little bit earlier than you want to, which is a great sermon to preach right after Daylight Savings. You may have to go on a walk in the middle of the day. And maybe you do have to be like Jesus, and you can get in a boat and go to the middle of the pond over here at Creekwood if that's where you need to go to get some alone time. But I want you to just talk to God. Don't be afraid that you have to go through some ritualistic cleansing in order to remotely approach the presence of God. You don't have to have all of your sin resolved or taken away or hide in the bushes because you have sinned from God. Your divine parent is just waiting for you to go and talk to them. Your divine parent is so interested in everything you have to say, no matter how little it might seem to you or to other people. Take some time this week and pray by yourself. And as we ponder that together, let's bow our heads and pray together one last time. God, we thank you for the gift of solitude, the things that we hear from you and get to tell you when we are by ourselves with you. And we thank you for the example of Jesus who shows us that being with you is so important. God, I ask that this week as we all try to get some solitude, to get some alone time, that you might honor the fact that we try. That we might receive what we need from you. We might be able to take a break or know that you are with us in the hurts in our hearts. Be with us as we continue in worship and go from this place. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today. And let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.